Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles coming at you for another one. And today we are on day three, day four, hunt three of the Iowa early teal season. Um, Today, just me and Hunter. How you doing, Hunter? Good, good. I'm uh, doing a lot better than I did yesterday. I'm not quite as crushed as I was last night. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, we're uh, we're, uh, slogging through the mud every day, but man... Um, I feel like the key in uh the key to the success on this is afternoon naps. <laughs> which, which you didn't get one today. Or wait, yeah, yeah you did. No, I did. Okay. I did. Right. Man, I was so out of it. I think I slept for like I slept longer in the afternoon than I did last night. So I, I think I did too, yeah. Honestly. <laughs> it was like five, six hours. It was great. But uh I'm still gonna we're like it's it's about ten thirty. We're in the Airbnb and uh we'll probably go to bed after this podcast because we got to get up again for the hunt tomorrow um so we need some shut eye but i I don't think i'll have any troubles what i'm trying to get at (laughs) getting back to sleep no i I don't have any problems falling back asleep either (laughs) so um yeah we're we're having a great time um the crews dwindled down to just us two at this point everybody else has gone their separate ways we started with five um and then some other buddies around um, down to just two last last couple standing. So we had a, we had another fun hunt today. Um, we cooked up some teal, all that kind of good stuff. That's what we're going to get to. We'll, we'll talk about some lessons we've learned. Um, anything else we're going to add to that that we're going to talk about today? Uh, I don't know. We'll I don't know. We'll, yeah, we'll see what comes up. But anyways, that's what you guys have to look forward to. So stay tuned for all that. We're going to get a quick word from our partners, and we'll jump right into it. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to Onyx. Guys, this trip is presented to you by Onyx. They're an awesome waterfowl app, for and, and for waterfowl hunting, it's just... Um, bar none, something that you really can't hunt without. I mean, okay, you can. Uh, It just gives you such a good advantage um, using it. You know, we're able to see boundaries. We're able to um, track. Like we, when we found the the cut, like I tracked that so that we can use it like in the future to follow that exact that same exact cut at night. It's hard to find stuff. You have it right there on your GPS. You know about how long it's going to take. All that good stuff um by using the onyx app it's just a great tool for the waterfowl hunter even you know today we were talking about like the distance birds were landing from us and we can put from the the satellite point that we're at to um where we can see the structure and measure it out and we can measure how far out away from us um that uh, that that was so if you hear chief he's in the background over here <laughs> making some noise i think he's uh he's he's ready to do something else but we're gonna we're gonna do this podcast right now, Chief. So, anyways, on the Onyx thing, um, guys, definitely check them out. They're an awesome company. Uh, also, like to thank Weatherby, guys. Weatherby, uh, I've been shooting the side by side all week, um, the last three days, and it's just it's just a lot of fun. So they got some great waterfowl shotguns. Hunter, you gonna shoot that one tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna trade yeah. guns. I'm gonna try that one tomorrow. Awesome, you get the side by side action. Uh, it's gonna be cool to cool to see how you do with it and how you feel about it. Um, but 
great waterfowl gun. They have the 18i um, and 20 gauge and 12 gauge. They have the Element, which is a more cost friendly um, inertia gun as well at a really a really great price so there's definitely a shotgun out there for you uh, as a waterfront hunter so check out weatherby you won't regret it um also like to give big thanks to final approach final approach the one-stop shop for the waterfowl hunter um guys we've been uh we've been looking at um their decoys tim got some he had them here at the airbnb some new ones um, he had the fully flocked mallards. He had some gadwall. All their decoys, man, they look super great. Um, but one thing that stands out to me is the rigs. They really have some awesome coated rigs um, that are pretty much better than anything I've seen out there and really at a, a pretty good price. So, like I said, guys, they're the one-stop shop for the waterfowler. They have everything you can imagine from decoys to gear to waders to any type of plant you're looking for. Um, go check them out. I'd also like to give a big thanks to Motion Ducks. Uh, motion ducks, uh, the jerk rig on steroids. Uh, you put it out in your set, and just like a traditional jerk rig, but way better, um, spreading those decoys out, making lifelike motion, finishing wary birds, putting ripples on the water on those days when the water looks like glass, um, and it, it's going to help you finish birds for sure. So use code DUCKGUN10. DUCKGUN10, no spaces over there. Um, yeah. So let's go ahead and jump on into today's podcast. Um, all righty. So I guess we can start. So this morning we got up. Um, we got a little bit more sleep. I think what we had to set our alarms for three forty-five. Yeah, something like so, that. So uh, I don't. You know, <laughs> I was pretty tired this morning. I don't know if I would have woke up if you didn't come knock on my door. I think you're like, "Are you up?" And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> I totally wasn't. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> But uh, I think I'd already I turned either turned off my alarm or snoozed it. Um, but I had like already got up and then I laid back down, and so yeah, I was I was just zonked because we're we're day three, just minimal sleep and maximum work is what it feels like. Yeah, it definitely has felt like that. I mean, we were trudging through some pretty thick stuff, and I think it would be a lot better. the The first day really crushed us, like the walking across the marsh. And not doing what we have been doing on the last couple of days, being able to drive a boat in because we didn't know we could do that. That really crushed us. And I think since then, it's just like it's knocked us off the level that we need to be at, you know? Right, right. And I think we talked about this yesterday. On our scout for today, we found this like really cool wood duck hole and we thought there was teal landing there back with them. But like I told you when we scouted it that I thought I saw a few, but I couldn't 100% be sure. Mm-hmm. And so we we thought when we were hunting that they were going back there. It's like, where else would they be going? And so maybe there was some mixed in there just because they're, they saw this huge wad of wood ducks back in there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, would you say there was like 100? Uh, easily 100 wood ducks got flushed out of that. Yeah. And then today, maybe like two dozen came back. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe something so, like that. Yeah. So not quite the show we were kind of hoping with like, it would be cool just to sitting in there. 200 wood ducks come waffling in there like just mm-hmm. bird after bird we've had hunts like that with wood ducks in season um but you know maybe bumping them up really yeah. did more to bust them up my my thought on it was because they hadn't been hunted because it wasn't season that that wouldn't affect them the same way as when they're pressured during season yeah but like so i mean we've noticed that the teal are not roosting in this area that we're hunting I don't know if the wood ducks would roost back in that area. 
Well, it wasn't late enough in the day they'd be roosting, though, when no. we scouted. No, not when we scouted. But I don't know if they were just going to sit there the rest of the afternoon and then end up roosting there. True, we would have just bumped them off the roost this morning if we had not walking all the way into the spot. You know what I mean? Sure. I guess that, I mean, I wouldn't think they would do that. It would be my opinion. But um, I don't know. I just haven't experienced birds sitting in a, in a spot to roost that long. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's, sure. it is hot out. I mean, it was what, almost 90 degrees when we were scouting them yesterday. So. Right. Yeah. So either way, they didn't come back how we thought they might. There wasn't like a big morning flight, and there definitely wasn't any tail coming in there. So <laughs> I don't know what we're – like they were going back that way, but maybe they're just flying off the island and kept going, and it, yeah. just, it looked like they were flying into it. But also maybe 200 ducks in the water. And they can see that while they're flying in the marsh. Like, oh, well, that looks like a pretty good spot if all these ducks like it. Mm-hmm. We'll go jump over there. But a lot of times we do see them being like species specific on where they want to land. And then we know, you know, uh, that they prefer to be like on the mud flats, just a couple inches of water, all that kind of stuff. Which back there in that wood deck hole, it wasn't like that. It was like waist deep, muddy. It looked really, it really did look like a. A typical wood duck hole and yeah. not like your teal spot. Yeah, I would agree with that. It was definitely a wood duck spot compared to like where we have been hunting up on a mud flat, essentially a couple inches of water, a lot of microbial, that kind of stuff. Right. So we ended up seeing like three or four little balls of, of teal, <coughs> excuse me, uh, flying. And we could see the marsh we hunted the day before from where we we're at. So mm-hmm. pretty much I just stood there all morning watching and every once in a while we'd see a ball of teal. Mm-hmm. And then every once in a while, like a two pack of wood decks would come, and you could see them from a long way, just like flying. And then they just coast at the end. You're like, oh yeah, this is like and we we oh. said it every time. It was like this would be a dead wood duck yeah, in season. Yeah. Those were all give me shots on right. wood ducks. Yeah. So even with just like the the dozen dozen or two wood ducks, we would have had our two man limit of of <laughs> woodies out of there. And but anyways, we decided maybe like what an hour, hour and a half into shooting light that yeah. uh you know what uh, it's probably worth walking back over that marsh and yeah walking back setting. up there and setting making making the change to like where we saw birds working yesterday and go up and set up in that right so i'll let you i'll let you kind of take it from here so uh yeah we ended up moving spots from the back like wood duck kind of hole holy area back up to the marsh where we had been hunting and one thing that has kind of like sucked the whole time we've been here is the birds are wanting to work the western edge of this marsh which means that when we're setting on it we're setting facing east which is like just anybody who does it normally you know that you're staring into the sun right and it just it sucks because what inevitably happens is stuff flies in and you just get blinded by the sun you can't see anything and you lose it do you feel like your eyes hurt yeah yeah i do too i mean we've three days of sitting trying to stare into the sun like is that a wood duck or teal flying you know if it's a wood duck you don't even bother calling Mm -hmm. um if it's teal it's like we got a chance we got a a chance to pull them over so like we have sunglasses on and it's still like i'm sitting here thinking man my eyes do hurt yeah yeah like i mean the last couple days i've had like problems with my contacts my my eyes not really focusing after we got done with the hunt because they've been so like they they just hurt from it right and so that's one thing that kind of sucks. And the other thing that's kind of been difficult for our hunt this this week is the uh, the wind has been kind of hard. We've had a south wind, and there's no 
the the cut runs north south. I'll just I'll say that. And so there's no real way to hunt it on a south wind and like be set right for the wind and not be looking at the sun. It's just it's very difficult to have all those factors play in right. And today we were definitely doing all of them backwards. We were kind of looking into the wind and we were kind of had the sun in our faces. And I definitely think that that hurt us on a couple of flocks, but we still had some success. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, I will say one thing about the birds. It was kind of a little annoying because they were mostly working up to where we sat the day before. <laughs> and that's not how it happened that day. Mm-hmm. They were all working down to like where we sat up. And like another thing to note, like we were standing in like chest high to shoulder high, um, uh, air alarm. Yeah. So and it, it, the air alarm flat there was like super super sticky mud, and like the longer you stood in it, like the deeper you sunk. Mm-hmm. So it's like by the end, like I was moving around trying to find like a fresh spot. We just had that all matted down. I feel like our hide today wasn't great. Would you? No. no and it's like. Not great. It was almost like day three. We just didn't care as much. So like, it's not that we didn't care. It was like we had like if you have like a weighing system for like, like we were just so like our bodies were worn out. Mm-hmm. Um, like I told you, my my calves hurt, my my uh, quads hurt, like just from standing and like even when you stand, like you're like working your legs to like try to level out in that mud and mm-hmm. oh man, um, so it's we didn't really make an attempt to like make a better hide or move or anything like that. Because I feel like some of the birds just didn't want to fully commit, yeah. which is weird. Cause I feel like we didn't have the best hide on some other days too, just standing out there. Um, and they still would just cup into the, the yeah. set, but today they, and maybe it was just like the time we were there and with that specific sun, cause we waited till like first light, the sun has to come up, you know, at, at sunrise and then it's got to go travel the full distance of those trees up. Mm-hmm. And so right in that time, like you're still in a good hide cause you're in the shadow of the trees. Yep. Um, and then when, as soon as that sun peaks, I feel like your hide is terrible when it's like directly at you, at your face, um, all that kind of stuff. And they could just pick us off. And, and that's about the time we got there about, um, when the sun was cresting over the, the tall trees on the opposite side, um, of the, of the marsh. Well, this is a really shallow marsh, so it it, it, it takes a while to get there. Um, and then from there, we were there. You know, not we didn't we didn't have a super long hunt today. This is our no. shortest hunt of the of the week. Um, but in that time, that sun is shining right directly on us, which really hurts that hide. Like if we're in the shadow of the opposite side, the one thing that we talked about is nice that you don't have to look at it, but also. Like, it makes your hide so much better to be in the shadow. Oh, always is better. I mean, like, if you can have the sun at your back, it's always a benefit. Right. You know, and at a minimum at your side, but, like, definitely at your back it's better. And that's one of the things that we actually, like, struggle with in Iowa. And I'm sure it's – actually, I guess now I'm thinking about it. It's probably true everywhere is that we have a prevailing west wind here. So, like, generally speaking, in the fall, we have a prevailing west wind. And so to set right with the wind, you're almost always set and looking in the sun. Unless you're trying to set up on a passing, like a, a side shot yep. on some birds. Yep. So, like, and we do factor in sometimes where, like, if it's a four, five, six mile an hour wind, we'll set backwards or set a side shot and just to have the sun behind us. But if you start getting to, like, that 10, 15 mile an hour wind mark, then you kind of have to set with right. the wind. You don't really have a choice. Right. Yeah, I feel anything over seven is kind of my like I it it predicted win of seven. I want to be where 
you're right for the win. Yeah. Or at least a, at least a side shot. I'll do a side shot a lot too, but um you're right. It does, you know, that prevailing wind um can get you looking at, at the sun a lot, which is tough for sure. Mm-hmm. So, but anyways, the flocks just like they'd come in. We had some really good flocks today. Um and a lot of them would just they'd be coming 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 and they would just peel off and they're peeling off to my side mm-hmm. a lot, which didn't help you um because I was trying you, you let me kind of call the shots today, yeah, and uh, which was nice. You know, except, except on one flock, the first flock. You said <laughs> we, we do have to talk about that because you said, "All right, you call him, you call him." And so I'm, I'm waiting there, and you just, you just stand up and start shooting, <laughs> like literally three seconds after you say you, you call him, and they were going to land. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, "Yeah, hey, you call him, you call him," because I'm like down in the cover. And there's like a slot where I could see the birds coming in, and then they just like kept coming. Like I thought there was like four in the group, and then there gets to be like, oh, this is the tenth bird I've seen fly right. by this little like area. And, <laughs> and then yeah. you still start shooting. <laughs> yeah, I, I and, couldn't take it anymore. I don't right, know. right. You're like, oh man, I screwed that one up because, um, like the bird I was on, like we went and watched it in shot cam, was like right behind. I'm waiting for this bird, and like the other ones are like just cupped up, gonna land. And I'm waiting for this bird to like go behind the mojo as like other ones are crossing in front of me for whatever reason. I got on that bird and I was just staying on him and he's right behind the mojo, which we talked about yesterday. I'm like trying not to kill another mojo on this trip. So um but yeah, you got your bird out of it and and I didn't. But uh for overall my shooting was a little bit uh worse today for whatever reason. I mean I've been shooting good, so um today it was probably I probably was less than fifty percent accuracy. Um but anyways that was kind of the go-to on the flocks. So they'd come, and like it'd be like they were ju- they'd cup up, their feet would be out, and then they'd zip off right before they went to land. And if you can get them all the way, just about to set down, mm-hmm. that shot's so much easier. And like then it gives you good opportunities to double and stuff like that. So, but we did have, like I said, uh, a bunch of like big flocks. Um. Like the biggest one I think we had was like twenty or something. Yeah, yeah, that was one pretty big flock. But right, that wasn't until after we had to relearn a lesson. Right, yeah. So that's what we got to talk about because last year on a podcast with us, the, with us, yeah, yeah, with me, with you in particular, I told you about a rule I have, mm-hmm. and my rule is when you say a time, you always stick to the time. Right, doesn't matter if you get cold, doesn't matter if you're hungry or bored. Or the only way you don't stick to it is if you shoot your limit, right? Right? Yeah. Then yep. you, you can go out and and be done. So I told you, it's like, hey man, I gotta break my rule today. Like my legs hurt. I'm tired. Like I'm hungry. Like <laughs> I, just, I I really don't care if we shoot any more birds, which is like very rare. It's like we already shot. We we're both at half our limits. I'm like I'm just ready to be done. Even though like it was like ten minutes earlier, I said yeah. Like let's 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 just cut it off at ten. And so you're like, okay, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I'm fine with that too. I'm fine with that too. And you literally walk out into the decoys. You're standing out there in the decoys, and like, I'm about to like shoot like my outro or whatever for the video. And you're like, big flock, big flock, big flock. And you literally like crouch down as low as you can and like hunker down mm-hmm. like inches above the water. And I'm like, well, like if they come with the decoys, not, <laughs> there's no way I can shoot anyway. But you. Yeah. You duck down all the way, um, and sure enough, they come, and they pass over top of me at, like, 10 yards. Flock of 20. Um, I just crumpled the first one and, like, missed on my second one. But still, yeah. And then you're like, 
oh man like i told you like <laughs> you you told me i can't remember what exactly you said but yeah. you're like you have a role like this is your role and look what happened i'm in the decoys i didn't get to shoot because we didn't follow your role that you told me last year that you never break and i'm like i never do break it either i always follow it today and so yeah some lessons you have to learn twice yeah yeah yeah, I mean, and like, I'm not that upset about like missing, missing right, opportunity. Right. It was just the irony. It's right? like, yeah, it's the funniness of like, yeah, you told me this is what we were gonna do, and then like, here we are not doing it, and look exactly why why we have the rule in the first place. Right. And what happened last year? What what was the? There was a pentail. We were. I was. You were like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna pick up. We kind of agreed to pick up at a time, and then I got like bored, and I'm like, all right, let's let's like let's go. And you're like, hey, let's I have this rule. And then not like five minutes after you said that, the group of pentails came in and right. shot the pentail. Yep. See, it's a good rule. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> rule, and we didn't listen to it, and yep, cost us probably cost us a couple birds today. Yeah, could have. So, which actually brings up another thing that we talked about in the blind, which is. Is it a cognitive bias, or is there a reason that birds come in when you're in the decoys? Right, because your your argument was that the water gets muddy yes. when you walk around in the decoys, and that makes the birds come in. Yeah, I mean, like I think that that doesn't make birds fly, of course, but I think that that makes <laughs> birds commit better. Yeah, and I think that like if you look at drone footage and stuff of especially mallards, I'm not sure about teal, but especially on mallards when they're feeding, it looks like a brown like circle. You know, where like the sure. mud is all churned up and right. it's very obvious compared to the rest of the water. Well, yeah. And we know that they root down in the mud for plants like duck potato and, and getting bulbers out like that. Um, I think it's that that's a, a bulb, um, but I'm not sure. But either way, it's it's rooted down in the mud and eat the duck, duck potato off the bottom of the plant. Um, so we know they do feed like that, too. Maybe I don't know if there's microbials in the mud or anything else. I mean, there's what some certain bir- birds eat like snails and stuff. Yeah. Out of the mud, so they're you know they they are making the mud, the water muddy and all that. Um, so I mean, I, I don't think it hurts to have muddy water, but I was telling you I thought it was cognitive bias because it's like what about all the times we're sitting in the blind and they come in like you know over the whole season, it like it's almost like more memorable when you're out in the decoys. You're like, see, see, it happened. Yeah. I'm out here. And it's like, well, yeah. So it happened ten years over the or ten times over the season over the whole year. And then you remember all those 10 times, but it's like, what about the hundred of times that you weren't and they still came in? Wow. Yeah. You, you know, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's my thought. on it. I don't think that being out there because one, they have to fly and I'll, almost sometimes it's like, we just see them when we get out of the mine. Mm-hmm. It's not even that they commit. It just feels like you get out and all of a sudden there's birds um, for whatever reason. And maybe that's like built into like the time thing where it's like, Oh, we want to quit because we haven't seen them for a while. But like the longer you go, the more likely you are to see a duck fly because yeah you know on yeah. a, on an average base so then you get out of the blind and there they are yeah i mean and it's probably like like i i do kind of believe it's a little bit of cognitive bias because it's the same thing with like every group has the joke about uh taking a leak when you have to go to the bathroom and it's like always a joke of like all right well i'm gonna make the birds fly so i'm gonna go back here and take a leak and mm-hmm. that's kind of like the uh running joke in everybody i've ever hunted with right or i'm getting gonna get the snacks out that'll get the birds coming yep Yep, like especially like the crackers that always gum up your duck call. Those always get birds to come in, right? And we have a joke too with like the mud motors. If I can, we have a bird that's downed and I have to go get it with a mud motor, like it's like pretty far away where we don't want to cast a dog. And uh, we have a good joke: as soon as you turn on the mud motor, birds will fly. Like as soon as you get a motor started up and you get out there to try to receive, like get a down bird, the birds will fly again. Right. 
But Maybe we should ban those. What do you think? No, I, <laughs> I, I don't think we should ban those. I think that's a horrible idea. Uh, <laughs> I agree too. We won't go into it much, but yeah, that'd be a that'd be a terrible idea. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'd be uh, more willing to ban like twenty eight gauges than oh than way, gas motors. Way more willing to ban a twenty eight gauge than a gas motor. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely. I think a twenty-eight gauge is uh, was it less ethical than having a mud motor? Yeah, I, I would probably agree. To yeah. be honest, you know, if you like, you want to make the argument that mud motors destroy habitat, twenty-eight gauges probably cause more <laughs> crippled birds. So, yeah, I mean, especially like you think about the average hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people that that tend to take further shots than they should. You know, they get desperate um, at certain times mm-hmm. and it's like, well, in the wrong hands for sure, a 28 gauge would, um, you can, you can make an argument for that. And we've, we've talked about that on the podcast in the past. Um, now, you know, I will say that people who are willing to not take shots like over 20 yards or whatever. And, and, and just like purely like fluttering in decoying ducks, but most hunters don't do that. And most hunters don't have that many opportunities over a hunt to like limit that way. So yeah, there is something to be said about that being popularized, which it is now. Mm -hmm. But like, so can you, could you also make the same argument about a 12 versus a 10 though? Like how a 10 I don't No, I don't think so. I mean, there's, I think there's diminishing returns. Like the further you go up. Okay. The, the shotgun scale, um, for, for that, you know, I, I definitely feel like, you know, ten to twenty is for for a reason. It's been around is like the optimal mm-hmm. size shotguns for like you know the size people that hunt and all that, right? Um, whereas like a, even for me, and I'm a big dude, um, a twelve kicks me harder than a twenty for sure. And twenty is very comparable in like the lethalness, right? Yeah. Where like you know the first shot on a twenty and twelve, the twelve should always be more lethal, right? But then the argument would be on a twenty. Um, you get so much less kick, you can get on the bird so much quicker that you're going to shoot it quicker and that that shot can be more lethal than a 12 gauge because it takes you more time to get on that bird. Right. And we know how quick, especially with till, like you take that first shot and if it's like a side, side probe, like let's say they're coming in and you pull up and they turn to the side and you get your first shot on it. That's your best shot. Right. Then your second shot, maybe you turn and now you're shooting a duck up the butt. Like that's not near as lethal you know, no. and so if you can do it like one right in the face and one on the side with a twenty gauge and a twelve gauge, you know, one in the front and then and they're turning by by the time you get mm-hmm. on the sec the second shot, you can kind of see kind of the argument or theory there for why, um, like the validity of a of twelve versus twenty. So and you can you can say the same thing about a twenty eight because twenty eight, um, I have not shot one, but it's very similar to like a four ten where it's like almost nothing really yeah. like to to a guy my size. There's like zero kick. So, um, but where, you know, the lethality is the difference there where it doesn't have the same lethality, obviously, as yep. the, the yep. 10 and, or like the 12 and 20, I should say. Yeah. No, I mean, you're the one that's like ran a shot cam for a number of years. I, mean, I bet you don't have this information available, but we could probably get it. It's going back to shot cam footage of your 12 versus your 20 gauge. Right. And averaging out your first to second shot time. The timing. Yeah, that's a good, and like that's just good to see if it does. Because, like, I think that while, yes, that's a, a decent idea, like the uh, that 20 gauges you can get on a follow-up bird faster, but I don't know if, like, in practice it's actually fast enough to make a difference, you know? Because, like... There's lots of things where it's like in practice or in theory it makes sense, but in practice it doesn't really matter. 
Sure. I, don't I would know. say over, over time, because I've, I've shot a lot of 20 gauge. Um, I would say it does. It does make a difference. Like, I've, I can personally attest to, like, um, for me, that it has, you know, okay. that, it, that it is quicker. Now, I'm not saying, like, I mean, I have no, like, I'll shoot a 12 or 20, but I, I probably, over time, I have preferred to shoot 20s. And you've seen me, like, last yeah. year shooting, like, the, whether it be 18, 9, 20 gauge, and then now this year I'm on the 12 gauge. And, like, in the past, I've shot, like, my A5. 20 and 12 and and you know i've gone back and forth between them and you know maybe i'll shoot like the 12 for geese and mm-hmm. the 20 for ducks um but i haven't noticed like a lethality difference between those two really um they're pretty they're pretty darn similar yeah yeah but the big problem with like 28 is is you just lose your pellet count goes down so much that like you have to you have to find a, a way to either constrict a choke or you're gonna have right a pattern right like, so there's you, no way to get around that right so you run a full a full choke and a 20 gauge and it's lethal out to 20 yards, right? Yep. Yep. So, and then after that, you'd have so few pallet count and it'd be spread out, you know, the same size as maybe a 12 gauge at 40. Yeah. But you just got holes everywhere. Right. You'd, you'd have holes where, where I'd be hitting it with, you know, X amount of pellets. They're hitting it with way less. Right. You know? We, we kind of got off on a rabbit trail. I almost yeah, said sorry. like, I said the, the gas motor is a little bit of a joke, but you know, I would say I, my argument on that and, and Matt and Elliot talked about it on the podcast. And, and obviously you listened to that one too, and you commented them about it. And I've made some kind of offhanded jokes here and there to mm-hmm. Matt and Elliot about it on the Facebook group and, and that kind of stuff. But like my argument there would be like, um, I just think the number, it would, it would, it would reduce the number of duck hunters and the accessibility of duck hunting. Mm-hmm. Like especially, especially in an area like this and in the areas that I hunt too, um, where like you have to have, a gas motor to allow people to spread out enough to have enough hunters. Right. And we don't want to do anything in duck hunting. That's going to reduce the number of hunters mm-hmm. to like an extent, right? It is, yeah. it is important. I should say, um, to have a lot of duck hunters. That's, that's a better way of saying what I was trying to say the first time. Um, and I think that taking away gas motors would, would reduce duck hunting numbers. Yeah, it definitely would. Number of duck hunters, I should yeah. say. <laughs> I mean, like how many and everything else is all like a debate in theoretics, but like you know, right. it, it. I think it would decrease duck hunters, and we do need duck hunters. And the other thing is too, yeah, is, duck hunting. Duck hunting is conservation, right? Yeah. So, like you know, the argument there is like taking away mud motors is conservation. Well, having a, a large number of duck hunters is conservation as well, because hunting is conservation. All uh, your licenses and all that stuff go to. Um, conservation. You buy your federal stamp. Ninety-eight percent of it, by law, has to go to conservation, and to ha- you have to have that. No matter where you hunt in the country, you have to have a federal stamp. I know a lot of duck hunters that buy more than one. Um, so it's like to reduce that number would reduce money that goes into conservation. Yep. Not only that, like it would reduce the voice duck hunters have, whether it's political issues or all that. So, um, yeah, and I understand like it comes from like a good thought that you know it's um that there's putting pressure on the birds and i'm sure it does put pressure on the birds but like i haven't seen like you've even said this too there's no study out there and it would be really hard for someone to do a study without like some type of bias going into it Mm -hmm. um to prove that gas motors are putting too much pressure on ducks like especially here too they have like um like reserves yeah for the birds to go in, and that's what that's built for you can't run your motor through that no, no so and that's where they go to get away from the pressure um and it's all down the mississippi they're i mean not that far apart there's no 
reservations all the way down, which is great. That's what needs to be done. There needs to be more of those, not less access for duck hunters. Yeah, and like the other thing is too, the other like, uh, how do I want to like phrase this, I guess. The other like arguments against the mud motors are, you know, that they like destroy the habitat. And the other thing is like they run around the marshes and scare up birds and that kind of stuff. And the I think that the idea of banning them is like taking the idea too far. And instead, if you have a marsh that people are running around, and you think people are just doing haywire stuff, make it a no wake zone, make it a five mile an hour zone. Sure. Like what they did in the Cheyenne bottoms. I heard that worked well. I've never hunted there. I've never been there. I don't, right. I don't know. I wouldn't, I would have a problem with that. Like people just running around to run around that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But like at the same time, and my, when I was thinking about that was, so, well, how do you get around? Like people could say, Oh, well, I'm just scouting. Right. Mm-hmm. That'd be your loophole. If you just wanted to run around the marsh, well, I'm just scouting. But like yeah. legitimately you have to scout. Yeah, you have to run your boat. You have to run it wide open. Get to places that are twenty minutes away on the river or whatever. Yeah, and, and you know, I'll say that like certain places in the country, you can probably walk in and everywhere you can. You know, maybe in Nebraska where Matt's at, um, very few hunters, a lot lower pressure compared to places. I always say like east of the Mississippi, there's way more pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, Mississippi east of the Mississippi over way more pressure. Um, and like how you get more access is by using your, your boat motor. Yeah. But, but like the thing they can get away with is, well, you can walk in a lot of places, a lot less pressure. So maybe, you know, it wouldn't hurt them as much over there as like here, mm-hmm. like what, like how would we even get to the places that we, we hunt? Like it'd be impossible because you got to run miles and miles of river. Yeah. Yeah. And like you, you open can't water paddle. Channel. Yeah. You can't paddle the big Mississippi river with a canoe you know it's unfeasible i should say you can but yeah i mean like you know where we're at in the river like today if you get a south wind of like 10 mile an hour there's like three foot rollers rolling on the river and like i don't want to be out there in a kayak and three foot rollers (laughs) right it's it's unsafe yeah it really is but again and i don't think that the people that suggest those rules necessarily think that you shouldn't be allowed to run motors on like big lakes and stuff like that i think they mean more more of the marshes you know the enclosed interior marshes but again, if that's a problem, I think that the, the no wake laws are definitely a better option for like an interior marsh that you're worried about than going just outlawing them. Because the other part is too, you know, you hunt with your dad, I hunt with my dad. My dad's not getting in a kayak. Like if if they made that and like, hey, the only way you can hunt this marsh, we're not hunting the marsh anymore because he won't get in a kayak and go out there. I right. would, but he wouldn't. Right. Definitely. So, yeah, it's like uh, it's like how we talked about. When I had um, Sean Weaver on, and he's like, I don't think that people, like, it's like people say, like, we need to do something. We don't need to do something for the sake of doing something. It's Mm got to make sense. And banning mud motors doesn't make sense. No. It doesn't make sense. Maybe it makes sense where there's no, like, where there's very few people and you can just walk in and that's it. But, like, if we did that here, it would be so crowded. Everybody would be walking in. Yeah. and, And on the edges of everything. And it just wouldn't make sense. So, no. yeah. So, anyways, we got sidetracked there. Didn't yeah, we? that was a little bit of a sidetrack <laughs> off of an offhand comment. Right, right. A little bit of a joke. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, what they say. There's a little bit of truth to every joke, and I mean, that's how I feel about it for sure. Um, especially the places I hunt. So, um, to continue on today, after that, we got back. We cooked them up. We did them on the grill, which is nothing new. You know, yeah. every, everybody's cooked duck on the grill before um i I love doing cooking duck different ways 
And, um, you know, today we didn't do anything no. special. I think we just kind of ran out of energy. But again, like on a trip, we want to eat as many as we can. Um, so that, you know, with, uh, travel laws and, mm-hmm. and limit laws and all that for possession limit, um, that we're staying ahead of that curve for sure. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we never even said what we shot today. We ended up oh, with, yeah. with three and three, right? Right. Yeah. So we ended up six birds between the two of us. So. Right. Yeah. Not I shot one blue wing and two green wings. Yeah. And yesterday I shot five blue wings and one green wing. So I'm up to, that's three and six. And then opening day, I shot six green wings. So nine green wings and six blue wings so far. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. What, is. What, is, what was yours? I, you, I shot, you shot six green wings on the first yeah, day. Six green wings on the first day. I what, don't. You don't remember what you shot yesterday? I think I only shot one blue yesterday. Okay, so same as me. Yep, and then I think today it was one blue and two green. Yeah, so that's, yeah, same exact. So, yeah. Yep, nine and six. Which, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of weird that we're shooting green wings. We've talked about this a couple of times, and it is kind of odd that we're shooting green wings in September. Right. Because typically we don't see green wings until, like, you know, later. The first couple cold days is when we usually see green wings. So it's kind of odd that we're seeing them now. And I will add that it's not just us. It's not just the spot that we're hunting. All my buddies that hunt like the general area, they're all saying that they're seeing green wings too. So it's not like we're just, we're in the spot where all the green wings are at. They're, they're around. Yeah, they, they migrated this year. Whereas in the past, like we talked about it last time, I think we shot like 90 some teal last year between like the people we hunt with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the six guys that we were hunting with last year. Um, it was like 90 some till over five days and it was two green wings and all the rest blue wings. Yep. And this year we've actually shot more green wings than blue wings. I don't know the total count yet. We'll figure that out. But, um, what everybody shot anyway. So, but I think it's been, it's been quite a bit more like 20, 30% more green wings than blue wings. Mm -hmm. And we don't know why. And also, like, just imagine if only we had blue wings and not green wings this year. Yeah, and like, we'd see, like, no birds. Right, it would be way less. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of cool, though. It's really cool because um, just over this week, like, in the past, I don't think I would be able to uh, identify as quickly, oh. like, a, like a, a group of green, green wings versus blue wings. But, like, just seeing that over and over and then have them come in the set and you can verify it, um, you know, uh, I've, I've been able to... Yeah, like uh, get better at identifying the difference between what a blue wing and a green wing flock looks like on the wing, which is super cool. So, yeah. and the other thing I will add though is that I think it's easier to denote a blue wing from a wood duck, or a, though in our case right, right now, right. non desirable, you know, wood ducks, booty, that kind of stuff. But I think it's harder to get, like take a green wing and separate it from those. Yeah. It, it takes me another couple seconds to non desirable because we can't shoot them. Yeah, because yeah. they're out of season. Yep, yep. That's so, what I mean by non-desirable. Yeah. <laughs> right, right now it would be illegal to shoot them, so they would be a non-desirable for the season. Right, right. And like I, I do think that it's easier to identify the blue wing, the blue wings than the than the, the green wings from those patches. Right. So we got to talk about calling because um, for the teal hunting for calling, um, there's two two options. We got um, the teal call. My favorite's poke pattern makes a great teal call. So check that out. He also makes a great. Uh, like four in one whistle, which that's what I've been using as well. So you can peep for the green wings and call for the blue wings. And that's pretty much what we've been doing. Like we've been calling with the teal call. You can call the green wings with the teal call. And, but we also like, Hey, it seems like the green wings are less responsive than the blue wings. Um, and then 
Also, if you peep at the green wings, maybe that's more responsive. That was a little bit of kind of like your guys' theory, you and Tim, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, but like at the same time, I don't remember hitting a peep and seeing a green wing just just bank in. Right. You know, where like with a blue wing, if you hit a blue wing call as they're like, you know, kind of passing, you can get them just to turn 90 degree right. corner towards you. But I don't think I've ever seen that on a peep with a green wing. Right. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to say, say because sometimes it's like you're peeping and they turn and maybe they're already going to turn and come in anyway, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's anything wrong with making duck noises while they're flying around. No, no, I don't think so either. I Like I said, though, I don't remember. I do think that like it's with the blue wings and a blue wing call, it's way easier to see. I hit the call and the birds responded. So, and and I, my thought on it is I don't feel like I saw much of a difference between the blue wings, the blue wings and the green wings hitting the teal call. It was like, it wasn't always going to work. And sometimes it did for both species of teal. That was my kind of like take on it. So, yeah, I mean, I would, <clears throat> if I had to say though, generally, I do think that like the blue wings generally in the past and everything respond better than green wings do. Green wings kind of do their own thing. And then you were like talking to Elliot and Elliot was like, Oh, well, we always call green wings with a mallard call. Right. And like, so, yeah. And then the first flock we tried that on, right? So we peeped out on peep, 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 nothing really. Um, I picked up cause you said it was green wings and it was, and then you said, Oh, they're actually blue wings. So then they actually, we got misidentified. Yeah. So you said blue wings. So I, Oh no, we're peeping at them. And then I picked up my, cause he said, I call with my mallard call mm-hmm. just like I do in regular season. We're like, why don't we think of that? That, that makes total yeah. sense. Yeah. So I picked up my mallard call and I call it them just a couple times, and you said, they're blue wings. And so I switched <laughs> back to my blue wing call and started calling at them, and they swung around, and they still finished. So then you know, our consistency was, oh, it doesn't matter whether yeah. it's a blue wing call or a mallard call. But they did come into the call. They yeah. finished. The whole flock finished. And uh, I think I whiffed two yeah. shots, and, and you hit one. So. Yeah, and, that was a, <laughs> and that was a flock of, of green wings ended up, right? Yeah, it was a, a flock of green wings, about a flock of like 15. Yeah, and they they came all the way up to the mojo and peeled off right at the last second, mm-hmm. and I just whiffed on a bad shot. But um, but you knocked yours down. Yeah, all that to say, like that was kind of just our calling experience um, from the hunt today. Yeah, yep. Which like again is like it's interesting because for some reason I didn't think about using a mallard call on, on green wings, even though all during normal season that's what I would have picked up. Like, right. Yeah. Right. I almost never see birds respond to the whistle, whether it be pintails. I think that like uh, the mallard drake whistles, I think don't don't turn birds, but I think that they help birds finish. Get, yeah, yep. get confidence in the finish. Well, I it's like I mean, that. it's it's pretty natural because they almost make it like when they fly in. A lot of times, mm-hmm. you can hear them whistling as they come in. Yeah, and so like you know, like we have a group of callers. We have three or four people in a boat that are all decent callers. One person's gonna be on a whistle for sure, right? On a mallard whistle, but like I don't think that the person with the mallard whistle is the guy that's turning turning the flock, you know? Right. No, I definitely would agree with that, too. So, I don't know. It's just, it is interesting, though, that yep. we had that experience today. And then the other thing that we kind of struggled with today on the hunt is we didn't have a dog. Oh, yeah. You know? Yep, and we're already tired. Yeah, and we're already tired. Oh, man, it was, a, when I had a slog out there for those birds, like, my calves were just screaming. <laughs> Going, I mean, it's like, this mud, when you walk into it, your whole boot goes all the way down in the mud. And so anyone who's walked through mud like this, you know, like part of the trick of it is like breaking the suction as you go. So you almost have to like push your foot in and like your toe forward and like slide it and twist 
like as it as, instead of like just like a normal plant and walk and like pick up your foot, you have to like scoot it and twist it to like break that suction. So as your next foot hits, you can pick this one up, and you have to do that kind of like continuously through the mud. And if you stop, yeah, then you're stuck, and then you really got to pull to get out. So because the second you stop, your weight starts going down, and you sink. So it's almost like you kind of got to glide through that mud. You push, push, and that's what I mean by like slog through that mud. And it's all sticking to your waders and getting heavier. And your knee deep water, um, which is really just three inch water and the rest mud. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, like it was where we hunted today. We actually had this decoys. The decoys weren't floating, but when you walked into it, it was at least knee deep. Yeah, you know, like the water level was at least at your knees. And yeah, we ended up dropping one bird behind us into the the arrow arrow and i went back and i found the first bird that we did that to and then we ended up dropping two on a different flock right next to each other right and, and like the crazy part about that was like because we were trying to be super careful about it mm-hmm. like i said and when i we obviously you don't want to lose a bird you know what i mean um but like we shot these birds over the water and their forward momentum as they like turned and peeled carried them i mean they went like five feet from the water's edge into the arrow arm so like yeah still right on the edge and we searched and searched we're just knocking down arrow arrow like with our feet trying to look for it um but yeah we ended up finding one we ended up losing one bird today right right so and then when that happened like well there goes our streak of of no lost birds so um it's tough without a dog i think i said if we had a dog we would have found it for sure so yeah so that's that's rough. That's like a because this this is one of my first duck hunts over water without a dog in like the longest time I can remember. Because it's either like when I'm going hunting, it's like okay, either I'm bringing my dog or we're letting another dog go in his place. Mm-hmm. You know, since Chief passed away, obviously, um, and then you know, young Chief's too young to go. So <laughs> so we were kind <laughs> yeah, we of yeah out of luck. Yeah, and like my dog was still you know I'm staying at the Airbnb here, which is a little bit of a distance from my house, and so like my dog was still you know with some people that I know, and so I I didn't have a chance to go get her, and luckily this afternoon I had a chance to go get her. So tomorrow we'll have my dog. We'll have yep. Ellie out, but yeah, that was kind of a challenge today, and I do think that you know if we had a dog with a nose, we would have been able to find both those birds. But quite easy. Yeah. yeah, The one that we lost, you know, plus the one that I found. Right. And And they should have been like really close together. But the other thing is we don't know if, if it was a little bit of live. Yeah. I could have ran. Yeah. And, and we never would have found it. And we looked for a good while pushing down all that arrow arrow, looking through all the stocks. And it's almost like you have to crawl through it to see, because it's got the big leaf heads on the top that blocks your vision. So we're both like bent down trying to look through that stuff. And, oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll have Ellie tomorrow. Hopefully she does all right. Right. We'll see. Yeah, so our hunt, we're planning to hunt back closer where to where we did on day two because we saw a lot of birds finish up there, a lot of green wings and blue wings, um, and I'm feeling like it's going to be a pretty good hunt. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, like, I'm well, – we didn't do a predictions for last hunt. What is your prediction for this for the tomorrow? For tomorrow? Yep. I think it depends on how long we want to hunt. I got to get back on the road. I would say if we had no time restriction, we'd shoot our limit. Mm-hmm. It's just two-man limit, you know. Um, but I also want to get on the road. So, you know. Um, so I'll say we're going to shoot eight. Shoot eight total? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go with ten. 
I'll go high. Okay. I'll go on the high side okay. of you for tomorrow. You don't know how early I want to be done, do you? No, I don't know how <laughs> early kidding. you want to be done. <laughs> I really don't. But no, I, I know that like there's a time restriction for tomorrow and getting back and everything else. But I do think that we saw a good number of birds up there and the wind will be a little bit more like useful for the spot. There's supposed to be a little bit more wind. So hopefully they'll actually want to set with the wind tomorrow. Oh yeah. And you know, we'll just, uh, we'll see how it goes, I guess. Definitely. Alrighty. Well, I feel like this is probably a pretty good place to go ahead and wrap her up, but thanks everybody for tuning in for another episode of the duck gum podcast. And I hope to, what am I hoping to? <laughs> I don't think I should. I'll edit this. I'm going to take two. Uh, anyways, guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Duck Hunt Podcast. Um, last day, I'll, I'll probably add a little bit of, I'll probably do it myself. Maybe I'll add it here at the end. Um, kind of a full wrap up here of the whole trip. But Hunter, thanks for being on, you're on all the podcast episodes on all the hunts. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you, man. It's been awesome. Yeah, it's I'm been glad fun. to get out here and, and hunt too with you again in Iowa. Yep, it's been fun and um happy to have you. It's, like I said, we've been having a good time and honestly what we both shot limits two days, we both shot three birds a day. Like that's what a five bird average. That's still pretty good. Right. So winter takes all tomorrow, right? Yeah, it's not the thing that's what it sounds like. <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think I stand a chance to, against your quick draw though. So I don't know if we want to play those games. <laughs> Alrighty folks, thanks for tuning in for the episode. Uh man, these on the trip series podcast from the road i think is what i was calling them last year series um are just so much fun man we had so much fun over the whole weekend by podcast number four um day number four i was definitely like running on fumes for <laughs> for this podcast but we got it done had a great time uh, i do want to let you know last day of the hunt we decided we would hunt out of uh um hunter's boat blind and um, man, we had a bunch of birds flying in first light. We thought it was going to be another good day out there, but the flight really never picked up and we headed out, I, I believe around like nine 30. So, uh, I think it was four birds for the day. I had one and Hunter had three. So, uh, still, man, still had such a great time. Even that hunt, like, it's not like I was super bummed or anything about shooting one bird. Obviously we all want to, you know, do the best we can every hunt, but, uh, I was definitely fulfilled by the the whole hunting trip, the whole experience, everything we got to do, everything we got to see, hanging out with buddies. If you guys have not gone on a hunting trip with buddies, man, put it on your schedule, put it on your bucket list, um, make it happen, go somewhere, do something cool. There's so many opportunities, so many places to hunt birds, um, to hunt ducks in North America, honestly, and beyond, beyond which I haven't done, but um, there's just so many opportunities um, that you guys definitely need to, uh, get your crew, uh, going and doing something because it's just, it's just so much fun. So, um, but I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up guys. If you can do me a favor, I'm going to ask two things here at the end of the podcast. One, drop me a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to, uh, this podcast on. And also guys, if you can share it with a buddy, there's a share link on almost every single podcast platform, share it over phone, text your buddies. Um, I'd love to get, uh, these podcasts out to as many like-minded, awesome duck hunters as I can, um, spread the message, share share my story, um, help with conservation, all that good stuff. Um, and you know, having you guys on board with that too, uh, is just awesome. So this is all we got for today, guys. I'm Jordan duck and Chronicles. Stay tuned. We got so much cool stuff coming this season. You're not going to want to miss it. And we'll see you guys on the next one.